<clears throat> good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone. Um, yeah, uh, man, I think James should just keep on leading worship because such a blessing uh, as he leads us. So thank you so much to James and the praise team. Uh, also, uh, before I start, I'd like to acknowledge my dad. He's here. <laughs> and yes, he's in the back. I do, I do look like him. That's what I heard uh, ever since I was born. It's like, oh, this baby, he has, you know, <laughs> that big nose and <laughs> like, just, looks just like my dad. But uh, very thankful for my dad and his support of my life. So, yeah. Uh, let me pray for us before we start here this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you again once uh, more uh, that we get to do this and we get to meet on this Sunday to experience you, to learn about you. Would you just use me, uh, give me the words to speak your, uh, speak your truth with power and authority. Uh, bless Diela as he's away as well as he's speaking. We thank you so much for our church and uh, would you be with us in our times. Give us ears to hear your word this morning and open our hearts. We thank you as your name we pray. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> this morning we are uh, concluding our sermon series on Detox. This is our last uh, part of the series, and you know, I, for one, am ready to detox. Uh, I hope you guys are too. Why don't you say to your neighbor, are you ready to detox? <laughs> are you ready? You know, before a big game, that's what you do. You psych your, uh, your teammates up. Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, we ready. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> This is, this is it. We, we are, we're, we're getting ready to lift off into this detox. Um, and just a quick review. DL has just done an amazing job of really going into all the, the nitty-gritty, the details of what this detox is. Uh, he, he reminded us in the very beginning, what do, we, what do we need to do? We need to fix our eyes upon Christ. Uh, he talked about how God always accomplishes his purposes, uh, and that we need to align our purposes with his. Uh, he mentioned that we need to get into his, God's word, because why? God's word is what transforms us, what gives us joy. And he told us to what, kill sin before sin kills you. And last week he, he talked about accountability and how important that is. Uh, just a quick raise of hands. Who here already knows who their accountability partner will be? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I think hopefully by the end of this sermon, because uh, eventually we're going to be writing down the names of the accountability partner. So I suggest you just pray to God while I'm speaking and say, God, give me a name. And just write it down, and that's going to be it, okay? And then you're going to tell them, hey, God chose you. So please do that. Because uh, that's very important, very important. Um, and so this final week is simply a push, okay? You're on the ledge of a cliff, and my job is just to nudge you over the cliff and, hey, let's go, let's do this. So that's what we're going to do, and we're going to see how all, this things that, all the things that we've learned through this detox, how that transforms our lives, okay? We're going to be looking at Romans this morning. And what this detox really is, it's a means to an end. It's, and what, this, what is the end? We're going to see this in Romans. So let's turn to Romans 12, 
1 through 2, and we're going to read this together. This is the word of the Lord. Chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Um, and so this detox program, ultimately, what is it doing? It's we're, God is calling us to be a living sacrifice. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? And, you know, whenever I hear the word sacrifice and when pastors talk about this or we, we, I hear it in a, in a quiet time, something just automatically cringes inside of me. It's like, ooh, sacrifice. I don't like that. All right? Because what does sacrifice entail? It means you have to stop doing what you like to do to do what you don't want to do. All right? uh, and the best example I can give of this is uh, my battle for losing weight, getting in shape, you know? I don't want to. I don't want to work out. I want to eat McDonald's. I know. I want to eat all these fast food. Uh, you know. I'll just come back from seminary. Oh, it's, it's a long day. I don't want to cook McDonald's, Wendy's. Uh, and you know, it, it, what does it do? I, I, when I was working out, it made it made me be disciplined. You know, I was doing P90X, X me, right? Bring it, insanity. Now I'm doing CrossFit. Uh, and all these things, why do, I, was, I, was, I was sacrificing all the food that I could eat, right, the fried foods, just to work out, right? Kind of not doing that anymore right now, <laughs> but I will, hopefully. Um, but let's look at this, what this sacrifice really means. Uh, and, you know, the word actually means to kill. And so we're looking at a living sacrifice. It's kind of paradoxical. Why? Because... It's like a living killing, huh, right? A living killing. Um, but back then, what, is, what was sacrifice? In the Old, uh, Old Testament, all, in the old times, they would take a calf and this animal, and what, what would they do? They would kill the animal. For, because why? They, in place of their sin. Because why? Sin needs punishment. And so back then, what people did was they would do this and... The animal would die on their behalf because we can't kill ourselves. So I guess we kill the animal, and then we give that to God. Uh, and, but something had to be put to death. Something had to be killed. Uh, and you see, living this Christian life is exactly that. It's putting to death our desires, right? our will. And isn't that the opposite of America, right? Uh, again, I like fast food. I think it's Burger King. Their motto used to be, have it your way. Is that, was that Burger King? Right. So, I mean, think about that. You could just, you know, you, you can't just settle for a Whopper. You could just, I want pickles in my Whopper. I want, uh, you can even ask for, give me a bun, pickles, mustard. That's it. And you could have it because why? Have it your way. And that's the, that's the motto. That's the theme of America. 
But that's so contradictory to what God is calling us to be. He wants us to kill like a sacrifice our will so that why his will may be done. Amen. And so in response, that's what we want to say. God, have it your way. Right. <laughs> uh, and so we're going to look in verse one uh, and we're going to look at couple things as god is calling us to be living sacrifices we're going to see three things and the first one is this uh it's a call to worship okay in in verse one it says therefore i urge you brothers and sisters in view of god's mercy offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy pleasing to god this is what your true proper and in the esv it says spiritual act of worship First, we need to see this. We need to see God's mercy. Okay? Just a little quick context. You know, we're in chapter 12 right now, but Romans 1 through 11, that's the gospel. Okay? That's all about God's mercy. Everything that this is what God in his mercy has done for you. We deserve death. We deserve hell. Right? But God saved us from that. And it's the, it's the mercy, the story of the cross. And that's what Paul is saying here. Look at, look, at, look at how God has been merciful. Therefore, live like this. Offer your body. Uh, a funny story about this is uh, from a, a mother of a nine-year-old boy named Mark. Okay? And the teacher of Mark, right, he's a, a young kid. I think he's in the third grade, and he calls this mom. And he, he's, he calls the mom and says, you know, something happened today that really, really surprised me. Uh, that, that's never happened before. And uh, all of a sudden, if you're the parent getting a call from your teacher, of course you're going to be like, oh, no, what did my kid do today? Oh, did he put boogers in, you know, this girl's hair or things like that? Or, uh, but, no, the teacher, teacher was, like, explaining, no, something very significant and interesting happened. She was, she was saying how she was teaching uh, a class on, uh, creative writing. So she was teaching this class, and uh, they go through the story of the ant and the grasshopper. We all know this story, right? Um, so she's teaching this class, and uh, this story, the story of the ant and the grasshopper pretty much basically goes, the ant, what does he do? He, while uh, the summer, he works and works and works and saves up and stores food, right? And what does the grasshopper do? It's just chilling, right? playing that violin, and just chilling, chirping, uh, not doing anything. And by the end of winter, what happens, right, the, amp, the grasshopper starts starving because he has no food, pretty much goes to the ant and says, please, please, give me some more gruel, right, more, more food. I, want, I need food. And, and, you know, that's kind of the story. And what the teacher does at this point is she tells the class, okay, okay, kids, this is your chance. You write the end of the story. So naturally, uh, a lot of students, they, they write, okay, the grasshopper shares the food. Uh, or the, the ant shares the food to the grasshopper. They live happily ever after. Uh, but this boy, Mark, he raises his hand and says, I'd like to, I'd like to try. And this is what he says. Uh, pretty much he was saying, uh, this is how he wrote the story. The ant uh, stored all the food, gave the food to the grasshopper, and, and then died, <laughs> right? 
It's like, oh, interesting. And then you're supposed to draw a little picture, and then at the at the bottom of the picture, he had little three little crosses, all right. And that's the story of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus, you know, as silly as it is, this little boy Mark understood the mercies of God. He understood that God had died for him, and as we view God's mercy, that's what we're we're called to do. We we're called to view God's mercy and. From viewing that, we offer our bodies to God. And so, secondly, we're going to look at what does that mean to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. And, you know, in 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that our bodies are what? God's temple. All right? In verse 20, it says, we were bought with a price. And our bodies here represents something it represents all of our being what we do with our lips what we do with our mouths what we do with our hands our bodies with our eyes our ears our sexuality all that encompasses what we do with our body and ultimately it's going to be either you're going to be worshiping god with it or you're not and so the point is our bodies are important right it has a purpose and what is the point of it being living well you can't be a dead sacrifice, right? We're alive. So what does that mean? Every moment that you have breath in you, every moment that you are existing and living, be holy. Live for God. Be a living sacrifice. And this holy is significant because he's saying, let everything that you do with your body be holy, right? Hebrews thirteen sixteen says this, do not neglect to do good, and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So ultimately, what is that? As we sacrificially offer our bodies, and you know, pretty much we're doing this detox, and a lot of that has to do with our bodies, how, what we say, what we do. As we offer that up, it's going to please God. All right, we see that in John four twenty three. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So we're seeking the heart of God as we do detox, as we offer up our bodies and our lives and our, our, our hearts to him. And so what is the application to this real quickly? You know, if you look further down in Romans 12, as we see the, the mercies of God, as we see what God has done for us, what's going to happen? It's going to, mercy is going to naturally flow out of us. And we see that in these uh, in these verses a little later, in verse 9, what's going to happen? Your love is going to be sincere, right? Uh, verse 14, it goes, there's a list. Verse 13, 14, 15, 16, bless those who persecute you. Weep with those who weep. Associate with the lowly. Repay no evil for evil. Don't take revenge. If your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You see, all those things, this mercy that flows out of us is because we view God's mercy. And from that, we will live lives of mercy. So therefore, if you really understand this gospel, right, you're going to live like this. So again, God desires us to be a living sacrifice. It's a call to worship. And secondly, God says, do not be conformed to this world. That's kind of a warning. Right? Don't be conformed to this world. We see this in verse 2. Um, you know, by nature, we are conformists. All right? uh, and an example of this is 
this researcher, Robert Cialdini, maybe he's Italiano, okay? Uh, <laughs> he demonstrated this experiment. And it, it, it describes the per- persuasive power of desiring other people's possessions and experiences. So this is what he did. Uh, he gathered all these volunteers into a room, right? And, uh, and he made them fill out a survey. But the survey was a distraction, okay? Uh, so it's just busy work. But the real point of, the sur- of this experiment was, uh, had to do with how our behavior is swayed by uh, those around us, okay? And so what he did was he placed a large glass, large jar, uh, glass of cookies, okay? I, I already like this illustration because I love cookies, <laughs> okay? So he puts his cookies and, and he asked this question, who would like a cookie, Okay? Um, and approximately one-fifth of all the, the, the volunteers uh, said, I'll take one. Okay. Interesting. Only one-fifth. Second stage of the experiment, the researcher secretly removed most of the cookies. Okay? So, you know, who stole the cookie from the cookie jar? The researcher did. Okay? He, he took a lot of these cookies out, and he made it look like, oh, people had already taken some of these cookies. And so, but the interesting thing is still only one-fifth of the students reached for a cookie, okay? So, third and final stage, what happens? The researcher, before, there's, he puts a huge glass jar of cookies, okay? Delicious cookies. Puts that in front of this, the class, and before he could offer a cookie to anybody, this random person, okay, like... Bill, okay. Bill walks into the room. He just looks at the cookies, opens the jar, takes the cookie out, and just puts it in his mouth and walks out. Okay? That's what he does. And you know what? After the researcher goes, who would like a cookie? Everybody wanted a cookie. You know? Everybody chose the cookie. What What does this show? Humans want what other humans want. You see that thing that somebody else has? You're like, ooh, this would look good on me, right? Or, uh, oh, I need that. Humans want what other, other people want. Uh, and, you know, this experiment with a cookie jar, people didn't want more cookies when they thought others might have taken a cookie. But they wanted it when they actually saw someone take a cookie. Uh, and so, you see, we are by nature people who conform. Just a quick definition of conformity Right? It's to desire, to be like someone, do what they do, say what they say, wear what they wear. You know, back then we had commercials like Be Like Mike. Anybody remember those? Uh, of course, Mike is Michael Jordan, number 23, right? He used to play with the uh, Wizards, you know, <laughs> Chicago Bulls. Uh, but, you know, kids, would wa- I would watch this like, oh, I want to dunk like Mike, so I you know, my mom, I was like, Mom, give me some Jordans. Of course, you know, I was way far down. I'm not going to do any of that. But uh, I wanted to be like him. And also, another example is back in uh, my day, maybe some of our older folk can remember this, there was a, a group called Criss Cross. Okay? Yeah, our older people get it, right? Well, this is pretty funny. What they did was <laughs> they would wear these jeans, right? And they wore it backwards. They wore it backwards. I don't know how they went to the bathroom, but that's how they did it. 
And it was huge, right? And it was cool. And the crazy thing was when I was in high school, I was like, what the heck are these people doing? And then they were actually wearing their pants backwards. And they were like, I'm crisscross, right? I thought, yeah, I'm cool. Um, but that's conformity because why? They saw what they thought was cool, okay? Let's not do that, guys, okay? <laughs> but uh, they thought what it was cool and they wanted to be like that. We see this in society as adults, right? And even as youth, uh, definitely as youth because, you know, our young folks, they're still searching for their identity, you know, their reflection, who am I? Uh, and maybe if they're low in self-esteem, they, they, they want to be esteemed. They want to be uh, accepted. So, you know, perfect example is the lunch table, right? You see the band people. You see all these people, different groups, the chess club, right? I don't know, <laughs> random clubs. Uh, but you see that because why? They all want to be conformed, be a part of a group. The point of this is there's danger in conformity, right? It, it can easily lead you to uh, do the wrong things and sinful things. All right, when I was a, a, a little boy, probably like Mark's age, this little kid, um, I would play with my other friend. We'd go to my friend's house. And back then, you know, this is the first time we're playing in his house. And, you know, we're playing with these matchbox cars. Anybody know what those are? All right, back then, that's all we played with, okay? We didn't have, like, Game Boys and everything. We're like, cars. <laughs> that's it, Okay. <laughs> Uh, we play with these cars, and this kid, my, one of my friends, he had a treasure trove of Matchbox cars. It's like you open this huge tub, and it's like, ah, it's like singing, and it's lights shining out, beams coming. This Matchbox car, wow. Uh, and it's like, oh, I've never seen this model, right? And my other friend, the, the owner of these cars, he left the room, and my other friend is like, Looking at these, and what does he do? He starts doing this. <laughs> and, just like, and I was like, what are you doing, right? By then, I've ne- I'd never stolen anything in my life. And this kid, and, and I asked him, what are you doing? And it's like, he's like, nothing. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, ooh. And then I just, I just followed him. And I just started shoving all these matchbox cars in my pockets. And by the end, my mom was coming to pick me up. And my mom notices, like, my pants are like this. Seriously, like, bulging out. And I'm like, and my mom, I got caught. And I just, I, I still remember that. I was like, I, saw, I was crying for some reason. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? And, but isn't that, that's the danger of conformity. We see something that other person is doing. And even though maybe we may know it's wrong, we start doing it likewise. Uh, and, you know, once you give in, the more you give in, the easier it is. Isn't that the truth? And so what conformity to the world does is what? It separates us from God, right? It's sinful. And, and whatever it may be, the lusts of the flesh, immorality, uh, materialism, right? I know girls like the shoes, okay? I know you guys you need to have a shoe for every different outfit, right? Um, guys... You know, I like golf clubs. You know, every year they advertise, get this driver 20 yards longer. But they say that every year, you know. It's the same driver. Um, But I fall into that. Oh, I need that. Um, But that's the danger of conformity. But real quickly, what is Paul saying here? We're called to be in and not of the world. We see this in John 17. 
uh, where Jesus is saying, I did not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them in the world and keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. See, friends, this is not our home, right? This is not our world per se. Our world is a, a, a new earth, a new heavens. But it's interesting because Paul here, he says these things, don't be in the world. Um, uh, but, but also he says what? I became all things to all people. So is Paul confused here? You know, I don't think so. There's this crucial balance that takes place between being in the world, but at the same time being all things to all people. And how do we know this balance? Well, the answer is the next uh, point. It's that God changes through the renewing of our minds. He transforms us. That's how we know the balance. Um, And in verse 2, it says that, to be transformed. You see, if we all, all we do is conform to this world, what's going to happen? Our lives are going to be wasted. It's going to be wasted because nothing in this world is going to truly satisfy you. We're always going to be wanting more of this, more of that. But what God says here is do not be conformed, but be transformed. Be transformed. The problem here is that our minds are fallen. You witness this in any little kid. Uh, Our desires, it's all about our desires. Uh, You know, what's a three-year-old's favorite word? No. Right? No. Like, no, no. Go do this. Go clean up that. Eat that. No. (laughs) I kind of see Manny, all these little kids do all the time. Uh, But, and what's what's their second favorite word? Mine. (laughs) Right? That's mine. Mine. You know, don't play with that. It's mine. Um, But see, that's, that's the nature. And even from our birth, that's what it's all about. Mine, me. And we see this in Romans 128. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind. This is by nature who we are. You see this in our, in, our, in our personal lives, don't we? In our quiet times, in our devotionals, in our reading the word. Why is it so hard sometimes to just open this Bible? Right? Sometimes it's easy, but then we experience moments of just, it's so hard. And then you know, our quiet times start in the morning, but eventually what happens? Oh, we, oh, I'll just read it during lunch, right? And you just flip through a page. And then what happens? I'm just going to read it before I go to bed. And then what happens? You're like, ah, just sleeping. You know, that's what happens. Because why? Because in our nature, we have a fallen nature. We're sinful. We, Romans one twenty three, we have changed the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Right? So Michael Jackson, he sings, I'm looking at the... Man in the mirror, right? Uh, You know who ultimately is your biggest idol? The image you worship most is the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror. When you look at yourself, that's you. That's you. You're your biggest idol. You are who you exchange the glory of God for. And so we see... In essence, what will renew our minds? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. In Titus 3, 5, 
Paul says this, God saved us not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to, again, his own mercy, right? View God's mercy. And by the washing and regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is what's going to renew our minds. As we read the word of God, as we look at, as we live out the word of God, the Holy Spirit in us will allow us for our minds to be renewed. And as our minds are renewed, our bodies are renewed. Our life is renewed. Right? It's the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'd like to close with a, a story of a, a young woman. And <clears throat> this is from uh, Dr. Gerstner. Okay? He, he's a, a pastor, a uh, theologian. And he gives this illustration. He was giving this il- illustration about taking your hands off your life. <clears throat> right? And that's this whole premise about what we're talking about, being a living sacrifice, taking your hands off your life. And during a conference, he's telling this story of a, a young woman, right? And this is back in the day, right, 1930s. And this is a young woman about 15, 16 years old, okay? And so she's at this conference, uh, pretty much like an Urbana, right, or this missions conference. And at this conference, she hears the word of God, she hears the calling, and she goes, God has called me to full-time missions. And then God places a country or a place. She wants to go to Asia. She wants to go to Asia. And so, you know, Dr. Gerstner, he's heard a lot of these stories, right? Uh, people, young people saying, I'm going to go for a year. And then another person, I'm going to go two years. I'm going to go three, four. But what happens often? They never go. Right? They never go. But this young woman, she had resolve. She had grit. She had panache. Okay? <laughs> she, 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 she had resolve. Okay? She was like, I am going to, I'm going to, uh, this is my vision. This is my calling. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Asia. And so uh, she, she hooked up with a, a mission agency, and they said, you got to do two things. First, you got to go get training. Go get your cultural, cross-cultural training. Go get your training in evangelism. Go get your Bible training and all that stuff. And secondly, they said you have to do this. You have to get a husband, okay? All right, you got to get married. So, oh, okay, okay, I can do that. Uh, so, <laughs> so, because why? Back then, remember, it's 1930s to dangerous world okay not not we don't have like the the health and the medicine that we did back then Uh, and ultimately if you went to asia there's a good chance you could die right um so they didn't want to send her alone she had to get married so near the end of her high school she said god i'm gonna take my hands off my life i give it to you i'm gonna live a sacrificial life i don't care about a comfortable life i don't care about entertainment all these things i am gonna pursue one thing in you and i'm gonna pursue you god i'm gonna pursue missions and and so ultimately what happens uh it comes to a point where she's graduating and she she's now looking for a husband okay she doesn't want no scrub, okay? I don't want no, I want a husband. I want a godly man. So I guess where do you find a godly man? Go to the Bible college, okay? So she goes to the Bible college. 
A year passes, no husband, no boyfriend, nothing. Second year passes, oh, and you know what happens? By the end of, as, as she's about to graduate, still, no husband, no boyfriend. And this is what she says. You know, at the end of her graduation night, she sat on her bed, an angry young woman. She was angry. Why? Because this was, this was what she was thinking. I committed God all these things for you. I look at the lifestyle that I lived. But where's my man? Where's my husband? Right? And she was angry. And she was, she was angry at her in her heart. She wrestled and she was struggled. I, get, I did all these things. God, you could have just, even right now, God, you could just blow and open the door and this, this guy comes in. I've, I've been praying for you for four years. And, uh, you know, I've watched you. Watched you. It wasn't the time yet. Will you marry me? God, you could have done that. But here I sit, angry. God, you didn't do that. And you know what happened? She suddenly realized that she'd been kidding herself. She'd been kidding herself. Because why? She wasn't miserable because she'd taken her hands off her life. She was miserable because why? She had never taken her hands off her life. She never did. You see, she developed this idea of this noble, heroic life that if I live a life of value, if I live a life of, of worth, then you know what? God has to see that, and God has to give me what I want. And ultimately, what did she do? She put God in her debt. Do you see that? This is the holy life that I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to give up. God, you got to do this one thing for me. And for her, for her, it was, give me a husband. And so that night, what did she do? She took her hands off her life. And she said, God, you know best. You know best. Dr. Gerstner, he closes uh, his sermon looking at all these young people. And he says, if that girl spent a third of her life getting ready for mission work, right, serving, saying goodbye to all these pleasures, comfortable life, Everything, you know, all the safety. And she had thought she had taken her hands off her life, but she, at the end, she never really did. Uh, he, he goes, well, do you think you've taken your hands off your life? I don't know. And I'm saying that to you as well. Have you taken your hands off your life? And so... Why did she take her hands off her life? This is what she said. She said, I could take my hands off my life because I realized these two truths. God is, number one, uh, infinitely wise. God knows. God has a plan for you. God has purpose for you, to prosper you. God is infinitely wise. And secondly, God is infinitely loving. Right? No matter what you're going through, no matter what you go through in this life, God loves you, and he will pull you through. And you know what happens when we understand this and we believe that and we take our hands off our lives? It's freedom, people of God. We become free. How freeing is it that, you know, some of us, we're just holding on to our lives with a death grip. And it's so stressful. It's so 
you know, agonizing because when you don't get your way, when you get, don't get your desires, what happens? You become depressed. You don't get what you want. But when you can take your hands off your life because you know God is infinitely wise, infinitely loving, and there is a greater authority over your life, what does that produce? Freedom. Freedom. And this is what she was saying here. Because God is infinitely wise. You know, Keller, he, he kind of, and lastly, he, this is really, really profound. He, he notes about this, uh, this, about this topic that, you know what she was saying? She says, I'll obey you, God, if you do this. You know, whatever is on the other side of if is actually what you are sacrificing for. You got to get that. Right? Whatever is on the other side of if. For her, she was like, if God, I do this, then you got to do this. You know, as we detox, whatever, it, this is how we know we have the wrong heart. Right? I'm going to give up my Korean drama. I'm going to do all this. But then, God, you got to do this for me. Find me a man. Right? Or help me to get in this school. Right? That shows your heart. Whatever is on the other side of if is actually your idol. And so, and this is, the, this is the push. Friends, let's give our lives to God. Let's throw off all the things that hinder us. And let's give it to him because he's so worthy of it. We're going to be sacrificing for something, okay? If you're not sacrificing for God, then you're going to ultimately, ultimately be sacrificing for something else. Your career, right? If, you, if it's your career is your idol, you're going to, Drive yourself into the ground. You're going to kill yourself trying to accomplish what you want, the success, the money. If, a, if your idol is uh, a boyfriend or girlfriend or someone you love, what happens when that relationship uh, breaks up? Right? You're going to be destroyed. You're going to, be, you're, going to, you're going to feel like dying. In the end, if you keep your hands on your life, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be joyless. And that's what addiction is, isn't it? We're addicted to entertainment, social media, all these things, because at the end of the day, we don't feel joy. We don't feel joy, and we need to find that in other things. And so the question this morning, this afternoon is, who's on the throne of your heart? Who are you sacrificing for? And the only way, as we do this detox, is to put to death these things that are driving us from God, because on the other side of the equation is life. We put to death these things, but you know what happens? We get life. We get joy. Psalm 1611. But the fullness of joy is in you. And lastly, you know, Keller puts it like this. God's the only master that won't consume you. Mm. And it's the only altar where uh, it will give you life and won't kill you. Friends, let's view God's mercies. Okay. And as we go into this detox, let's be living sacrifices and take our hands off our lives so that we can say, it will be my joy to say, your will, always your will. You can take your hands off your life because God is infinitely wise, infinitely loving, and he loves you uh, this right now. Uh, and as we uh, take some time to pray, we're... We're going to give some time before we do offering to actually think about this, okay? You're going to fill this out, and as you 
we're going to maybe, Sung, you can play some piano for a little bit. But as we think about our lives and the things that we are, what it means to be a living sacrifice, uh, you're going to fill this in. This is your commitment. This is your pledge for this uh, detox. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to give to you, God, so that why I can pursue you. And so this part is what you keep so you remember. And so you're going to cut this off. And on this part, you're going to, as the offering goes by, you're just going to gonna place that in the basket, okay? And so this is for the church so that we can pray for you, okay? So while the song plays and before the praise team comes up to sing the closing set, let's pray about this and let's take a moment to really consecrate ourselves and to really uh, commit to God. Right? This is it, the final push, final countdown, okay? Let's uh, commit these things to God. So let's take a moment, people of God, to uh, really pursue God and commit to him. <laughs>